What's up, everybody? Welcome back to The Buzz. I'm Brian Earhart, and today I had the absolute pleasure of sitting down with one of my favorite disc golfers to play with and watch, uh, one of the best throwers of the disc I think I've ever seen, Michael Johansson of Charlotte, North Carolina. He's a phenomenal storyteller, and I really, really think you'll enjoy this episode. Yeah, I started playing soccer when I was six or seven. I played a lot of other sports too, but that's the one I played the bulk of, where I actually played a lot and did travel soccer and other sorts of stuff like that for a long time. So were you like, did you play soccer because your parents made you do it or did you actually have like a big passion for it? Like, did you have parents that kind of nudged you along in regards to like sports or? No, they'd let us kind of pick and choose what sport you wanted to do, but I was youngest of four. So it was kind of, you automatically played baseball and at, 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 no matter what, you were playing that over the summer. Yeah. At some point in time, you were playing baseball. But uh, no, you were, soccer league started up when I was really young, six or seven. Just started playing and play then. Then mom and dad were like, you want to play soccer? Sure. <laughs> and they asked first off, it's like, who wants to play goalie? I raised my hand <laughs> and stayed there. I don't like to run, but I do like the concept of soccer. Yes. Yeah, awesome. So then Plus you, I could use my hands. That yeah. <laughs> Plus I could cheat. It's amazing. Um, well, I mean, so... You moved forward with soccer, and did like when did you stop playing? Like, what age was that? Your whole life athletically with um, soccer, pretty much. I did soccer from the ages of I don't know till about sixteen, probably. And okay. I got burned out because we moved out of town when I was eleven or twelve, uh-huh. and we didn't have soccer in Lincoln County, so I was doing travel league at the time. So we always drove into town three, four days a week for mm-hmm. practice, and then travel for tournaments on weekends. So just after a while, you it got was pretty burned much out. And I played, you know, I played. Spring league, fall league, mm-hmm. summer league. Played played uh, indoor ball too. So, <laughs> were you one of those kids that like dreamed of being a pro soccer player, or did, were you just kind of doing it to do no, it? No, there was no chance of being a pro <laughs> soccer player. <laughs> yeah, I graduated ninety seven. Yeah, that wasn't happening. <laughs> I mean, yeah, especially the off, MLS. But, yeah. You know, unless you're amazing going yeah, overseas. No. I was too short. Yeah, to be goalie. how tall are you? Like six one? Maybe six feet. It's a big boy. I'm like squatty 5'9". You know? Yeah, I do could just cover the corners, but after a while, if you're not 6'4", six, 6'5", six, you're not playing goalie. Okay, yeah. Well, sorry, MJ. Nope. Just didn't, didn't cut a... it in that sport. Nope, it's all right. Enter. <laughs> when, did you, when did you start uh, like being involved with Frisbee? Like when did, like, was I it? I started Frisbee all my life. Okay, talk Dad, to me. Talk, go, let's go back. Let's rewind. Well, Dad used to give us, um, like when we'd go camping and stuff, mm-hmm. Dad would hand, just... Stay away from dad while he's setting up the camper or campsite. Just mm-hmm. don't talk to him unless he needs you to help. Otherwise, it'd be, here, here's a Frisbee. Do with this. Go play whatever. Instead know, of so. an iPad nowadays, yeah. you have it's a Frisbee. Like, it's beautiful. So you'd play Frisbee. And then uh, when we moved out of town, we lived like right across the street from a cul-de-sac. And two of my good friends were like right down the road from mm-hmm. us. One was across the street. One was down the road. So we'd always just be playing Frisbee games in the, parking, in the cul-de-sac, go up to the parking lot, whatever, tennis courts. And you know, one of my buddy's dads would drag us up there. We'd play games at the tennis courts while he played tennis. <laughs> Go away, kids. Yeah, Don't talk make to me. Shit, you know? yeah. <laughs> and then I played Ultimate and Bunch for a while. Played DDC and Guts. I love DDC. You Guts do. A, you love DDC as DDC's well? DDC's fun. Because hey. it's, it's Ultimate and all the shot making without having to run around like a village idiot and shatter your collarbone. For <laughs> Yes. Um, talk to me. Say I'm uh, new to disc golf. I've been playing six months, and that's the only disc sport that I've ever played. Talk to me about the joys of... DDC, double discord. Oh, DDC so much fun just because you get a chance to play. It's so much of a thought process because you can't have – it's two on two, split apart. 
not too far apart, but it's like what thirty yards. <laughs> I think it's feet? fifteen it's or something 15, like that. Yeah, sounds right. And it's uh, so you're just trying not to have neither one of you can. Both teammates can't have the frisbee at the same time, except for serve to start with. Yeah, there's two discs, right? And I think what your team on one side, like one square of cones, and then my team on the other square of cones. cones yeah. One disc starts in each, and then you start. Yeah, you set them up, and you go. Well, usually you can start on the same side. You serve one up, and then the other one serves to it, and then you cannot have the same. Never from there on out, both both frisbees cannot be caught on the same side at any point in time. Yeah, and, that, and that's killed. two points or three I points. Think, yeah, something like that. And then the other way to score points is just just to drop one in there. Yeah, square. drop it in the square. Yeah. So I, and you play with old school like 110 oh, like gram fastbacks. Yeah. Oh. They're not fastbacks, but they're just rounded, smaller diameter frisbees. And they're so, so they're, they're great to throw. It's a good learning curve just to learn how what a disc can do and all the shot shapes you can do and uh-huh. all the different overhands and sidearm angles and different stuff you can do and there's different rules where you can't come in at certain too much of a sidearm angle or a, mm. a two up and down vertical it doesn't count yep. you know it's got to come in flatter yeah i think i think the angle was it can't be it's like can't it be can't vertical. crest 90 degrees or like 90 degrees I yeah believe. something like that yeah you That's can't actually throw like. like a hammer at somebody but um if you are uh just new to the disc sports world double disc is one of the coolest and personally, one of my favorite disc sport oh, yeah. disc sports out there. If you get good people at it, it's a yes. lot. Even with bad players, you can have a blast. Yes, look it up. Look up the rules. Very easy to find on Wikipedia. Um, I'm so glad you like that game because I I want people to play with, and I just don't think there's a lot of interest out there to play. But we'll, we'll, we'll get a pop in this year. There was tour. a weird. There's a clump of them that played in Raleigh a lot. So yeah. there was a there was a, that was a big hotbed, or you had to go up in the Northeast had a lot. That we yeah. See them. Ugh. Yeah, the the your area ha- is pretty rich in frisbee history in general, right? Like Charlotte between area, between Charlotte and Raleigh. Yeah, I was going to say Raleigh is more of the um, has been more of the all around style of game. Yeah, like, like accuracy, accuracy, MTA, F, you know, all the different stuff you can do with mm-hmm. that for your all around style games. And Charlotte's been much more of the disc golf side of things, which is very evident after being here for how long have we been here? Like a week. I don't even know. I've been here 41 years. Oh, wait. <laughs> <laughs> my, my, my. I'm, I'm just blown away by the disc golf community out here, and you grew up in it. Yeah, I've watched it come and go a bunch of times. When I, when I first started playing a lot of disc golf was right after was it 97 Worlds in Charlotte. It's about the time I started really actually playing. So I came in around the time when the club had kind of disintegrated a little bit mm-hmm. and fallen apart because they ran that Worlds, and you know, pretty much after a club runs a Worlds, they fall apart for a while and come back <laughs> together. Is so, it just because a bunch of opinions are flying well, around about how something should be done? And no, then, it's just you get it's a stressful time to put together that big of an event and run that big of an event. And it's usually, especially back in the day, it was it'd be two, three people running the event, doing mm-hmm. all of it. Yeah. So you know that's when your club is three, four people strong, but you've got you know fifty members, but it's still only three people that really do all this stuff. Three Those guys go nuts people. and drive them, and you know they're burned out by that point in time. Yeah, of course. And you need a break because you've been building for that tournament for a year or more. Mm-hmm. And, and that's like what we have so often with tournament directors these days, like building up for an entire year or over an entire year to build up for a tournament. Um, I, I, uh, so, so I guess something that I'm fascinated by is how many good players Charlotte has. I come in here and first off, all your courses are packed. It seems like almost all the time. Well, it's quarantine time, so everybody's out of work. <laughs> I guess yeah, I guess you're right about that. But, but if you if you're in South Charlotte, yeah, there's a lot of courses that are packed. There's a couple of areas that are really heavily populated with a lot of players, and we've gone through waves. I remember when I first started playing, we only had four main courses 
and a couple of nine holers. Mm-hmm. Now we have it's like 15, 16 courses in the that county. Amazing. Yeah, you've got a good variety of everything. You know, yeah. you've got everything from basic multiple beginner courses all the way up to pretty quality close to. I, I don't know if we have truly solid on top gold level courses, but we have some wooded ones that I'd say are close. Yeah, I'll, I'm blown away by the amount of like variety that your wooded golf actually has. But I mean, so so you started playing what year? Ninety seven, you said. In 97, 98, I started so then, playing a fair amount. What was it like here in 1997? What was the Charlotte scene like? Did you even, were you no, even aware? No. When I first started playing, it was wander around with a couple of discs and a couple of beers and wander around, get high. And, oh, so you frothed. Oh, yeah. No, it was straight froth. You know, playing, <laughs> playing flip flops and let's go. He's got Birkenstocks. Let's roll, man. Because <laughs> I basically go. played before I started playing when one of my buddies in a band I was in, it's like, you probably you throw frisbees. You'd like disc golf. And yeah. I've known about disc golf since I was really little, but mm-hmm. I just never played. And he's like, yeah, cool. He lived by a course in town by Kilbourne. Mm-hmm. We were the only two that got out of work before 8, 9 o'clock. So we'd go over to the course and, you know, get a buzz on and play Wander Around the Woods. <laughs> wander Around the Woods and get a buzz on. I wonder how many professional athletes got into their <laughs> their sport getting a buzz on. And, you know, did LeBron James go to the pickup games to just get buzzed and then? Probably not. <laughs> Probably not. No, no. Well, also in golf, John Daly won at British Open, so. I think oh, he was hammered too. Probably. <laughs> he was probably. I'm hammered. sure he was hammered when he won this PGA at Crooked Stick. I'm sure yeah. he was jacked there. <laughs> but that's what I'm saying. I, th- I think golf is just one of those weird games where it doesn't matter how big or strong you are. It's how uh, single sports are you really are. different yeah. than team sports. Yeah, very They're different. really different. A lot. I mean, a ton different. I mean, especially golf, where you can you can win a tournament so many different ways. Oh yeah. Especially if the course allows for it. You talk a lot about courses where. Either the course makes you play a, a, a perfect, like a perfect style, like you have to throw the, the uh, assigned line, yeah. Or, you know, or courses where you can get a, like really creative. How has so when you started in '97 and you started progressing, the moment you started um, becoming more aware of course design, like like I know you're very critical about courses, not in a bad way, but you you're very particular about what you like. When did you start actually paying attention to that? Probably not until I've been playing six, seven, eight, nine years okay. when it really started. When I started to become friends with like uh, Stan McDaniel and some of the guys that designed, and you started to understand. You know, I come from. I played a lot of golf growing up too, so I understood the concept of golf and how to play it. Mm-hmm. But I never really understand how to truly. I never really straight up played golf when mm-hmm. I was young. It was just smack the ball and go do it again. <laughs> yeah. You know, and then, then that's kind of what disc golf was to me for a long time. It was just throw it and Smack then go tree. it again, you know. <laughs> but I could throw discs all over the place, so mm-hmm. it really wasn't that crazy for me to learn. But it was different to understand how to actually to play the game. Exactly. You know, then you'd start playing with, and then you'd start playing with some of these guys when Stan was mid to late forties when I started playing, mm-hmm. and then he'd kick your ass. You're like, he can't throw out his own shadow or be <laughs> Alan Beaver. They're Hall of Famers, and they can't throw very far, but they're working their way around the course and just laying the lumber Did on you. Did you just you're say designed. they can't throw over their own shadow? Oh, yeah, yeah. Alan, <laughs> Alan Beaver can't, but he'd, he'd admit to it, but he'd still kick your ass. I've never, I've actually, after 16 years of playing disc golf, I've never heard of that insult, and it's very funny. So, uh, well, let's play with like guys like Larry Leonard. Larry <laughs> couldn't throw very far after he broke his leg and stuff, but he, Made everything inside of sixty. Mm-hmm. I, I actually have seen. Was he in the video of to quick to quickly jump? Have you watched like the MSDGC video from like oh six? I was probably in some of those, but yeah, no, yeah, I, yeah, I think Larry was in one of those. Like oh, so he, five, he was oh, six, pl- oh, seven. Yeah. Okay, so he was playing. So I played with him a bunch in tournaments, and he okay. just stopped playing late two thousands, probably. Yeah, man, he was very impressive inside. Oh, he should have won a worlds. 
I think he, he was close, wasn't he? Yeah, he should have broken Climbo streak somewhere in there, but he just didn't quite finish. Quite, couldn't quite work it out, but Kenny was you know, ridiculously good, so well, no and, arguments against that. Well, MJ, I'm going to... I discovered something very peculiar uh, when I was looking at your PDGA stats. Well, that's sad. Because <laughs> I'm digging into your life. And uh, let's see here. Michael Johansson, 20300. That's quality easy number. <laughs> Denver. Perfect. North Carolina. Are you really almost 10.30 still? Yeah. Every once in a while I pop over when I play a lot of I almost events. dropped an F-bomb there, but I'm going to refrain from it. That's all right. You can drop one. Screw, screw you is what, <laughs> is what I'll say. Um, so you, but you started in 97, and you were frothing heavy. What happened in 2002? Uh, I started playing a lot in like 2000 probably when we local disc landing showed up, the store showed up, started running doubles. And then in 2002, one of my buddies was at State finishing up his degree there, and I just like, yeah, there's a tournament there. I was going to go see him for a couple days. and But he was leaving on Sunday. So I was like, oh, I can hang out with you Thursday, Friday. And then, you know, you, you, he was leaving on a cruise on like Saturday night or Sunday morning. He's like, yeah, you crash here. Don't worry about it. And I was like, hey, what the hell? I'll play this tournament and stay up there. Happened to win it. Re- I was. It's not. I wasn't even a member. Oh, okay. It was so, 20, 20, 2002 Am Crosstown and that's Dogwood awesome. Crosstown. Yeah, because your your first sanctioned tournament was in June, so that was earlier well, than that. That's the first one that was. I was actually a member of. Okay, so you I played. Had, yeah, I won. I played one advanced event, won it, won entry into the pro side of the Crosstown, and I don't know. I had, I had a good first day. Yeah, it was like sixth or seventh after the first day, and then I didn't cash. Who were you playing against? Like it, it, at that time, was it two thousand and two? You said. Yeah. Who were you playing against in Charlotte that time? Uh, Charlotte, that was a lot of, um, God, that was probably Stan and Alan Beaver. God, who else was here? There was a lot of guys. Greg, I was playing with Greg Watson, uh, David Weedy French, won Am Worlds, Advanced Worlds in 2001. We played a lot together. Guys like uh, Kim Hughes. There's lots of locals. Kim Hughes Guns. Uh, we played lots of people. That's that's so nuts. A lot like, of people that no one knows about. They were well, really good golfers. Well, and here's what's here's what's crazy. Like you were playing against all these guys, and it's almost like Charlotte disc golf. Were the courses very short back then? Like in 2002, was it very par three heavy golf? No, we had already had uh, Hornet's Nest was par 58, and okay. uh, had a nice mix of stuff. You know, three or a couple par fours and a par five. We had Renaissance. It wasn't. Good. Gold didn't show up until late 2000, like 2000. I think they started adding gold in like 2003 or 2004, but it wasn't full. It finished okay. until 06 maybe. But so, we started playing. But Renaissance had, the old Renaissance had a couple par fours and some par fives on Which it was kind of new in the disc oh, yeah. world. Yeah, yeah, like yeah, no. Very new. Like, oh, yeah, completely. Well, so before before I start digging into your stats and, and your journey climbing the open field, what were you throwing in 2002? What was the, what was the, so, just for the new players, like explain to the new players, what was the landscape like in regards to equipment? Mixed bag and I was probably throwing Valkyrie as my long distance driver. Probably some MRVs in there. Ooh. Some MRXs, some Cyclones, stuff like that. Cyclones are so sick. Putting with rhinos. Ooh. Special edition rhinos. What's sad is that probably was your whole bag. Yeah, four that was basically. It. And then I just—I had a lot of different stuff. I mean, my first bag I made myself, and Mom showed me how to make it because she was a seamstress and helped <laughs> so me you out. So you sewed oh, yeah. She had some old, you know, um, jean jean material and made a bag that made it work. Yeah, so you had a denim disc golf bag. I still have it. Oh my god! So I, I need to use it for a tournament okay, somewhere along so, the line. So I carry ten discs. I'm hoping this goes viral. 
we, we tend to get a few thousand listens per episode. If any of you out there can start a GoFundMe, if we raise, what's, what's your minimum for you carrying a, your denim bag at the next tournament? The next tournament? With oh. cameras. Because I, well, I, I know, know Jonas. That would be. <laughs> well, at, at this point in time, what tournament would that be? What about GMC? I, won't, I don't know if I'll be there this year. <laughs> All right, it's well, hey. it's a couple weeks after. It, one of these days, MJ, I'm going to make a GoFundMe, and I want you to carry that down. Oh, I'll do it. It's, it's perfectly fine. It'll be fine. I don't use that many <laughs> You'll just anyway. look beautiful, and I'll maybe put I a I will not do it you. at uh, Lake Eureka, though. <laughs> okay. Maybe Northwoods Gold, I'd do it. Strong demand. Yeah, um, I might need an extra disc if it's windy. You <laughs> okay. So, you, <laughs> so, yeah, there you go. You had four discs, and nothing was overstable. And no, you still get firebirds and eagles and banshees and stuff like that were out, and you some uh, used to throw Z extras and stuff in extremes. Okay, so like you that. would throw those. Oh yeah. Okay, but your bulk was like the neutral. Yeah, throwing XSs, XLs, uh, Valkyries, mm-hmm. stuff like that. And I remember when the orc you're came out. very fashionable. The orc was actually the 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 starting point of my career as a disc golfer. Oh, okay, yeah. Right when the orc came out. And uh, I remember bragging to my parents and, and getting all excited about the orc, and they just laughed at me. <laughs> I could understand why. They're like, I don't, I don't care. <laughs> I don't care. But well, um, My parents looked at me sideways when I did this, too. Ah, uh, yes. The common feeling that all of us feel. Um, so <laughs> you got a denim bag, and you got a few molds in your bag. Um, and you're moving through 2002, and you join the PDGA because you're starting to like it. You go open right away. Is that like a standard thing in Charlotte? No, it just kind of happened. Why? Well, there's a lot of guys that'll play and just play advanced for a little bit and then go open. Just We've always had that in North Carolina, and that's why I think why we produce so many AM World Champions for uh-huh. that little burst, because they'd all jump and play open with us. You know, you, and Open around North Carolina is a freaking battle zone. Yes, it is. So, no, I just had been playing quite a while, and I... I didn't really have that much fun playing the advanced tournament I, I did. I didn't feel like I played very well in it. Mm-hmm. It was shitty conditions, but it was fun. It was, you know, I had fun with the guys I played with, but I really yeah. didn't quite enjoy the, the thing. And then I played the uh, Pro Cross Town mm-hmm. the end of the month. And, of course, they made me get a PDJ membership and all that crap that I really wasn't <laughs> planning on doing. I really had no thought process of still doing it. And then uh, I played that, and I had fun even when I was getting my ass kicked. Yeah. Like the second day I played like shit and got my ass kicked on Cedar Hills, which just kicked my ass for the next 10 <laughs> years probably before I learned how to play it. But yeah. I had a blast even when I was playing bad because mm-hmm. you could watch good golf even when I was playing bad. Exactly. And, and, you know, I didn't feel like I was playing good golf and I won on the advanced side. Yeah. So it's like I at least want to see good golf. If I'm going to lose, I want to watch good golf. Yeah. So are you someone that you would say uh, leans to the side of just really loving competition and winning or would you say you lean to the side of really being into mastering things i know i competing yes i like to win but i'm not the guy that's going to go out there and just i have to win so badly yeah i like um to me disc golf is me versus myself in the course Mm -hmm. and if i happen to beat the guys next to me cool but i I, if they beat me and they play well good job to them i'm not gonna second guess them or fret over what they're doing Mm -hmm. you just try to play your own game it's such a stay in your own world and do your own thing and there's a bunch of different ways to get to the a good score exactly you know, i don't have to play exactly how paul plays any either paul you know mm-hmm. any of them i don't yeah. have to play how they play i can play my own game and work my way around a course and still get to a good number yeah exactly i mean exactly and that's that's one of the hardest things to do when you start moving up because you see so like you know anyone who's maybe listening to this as their first episode there's I'm a sorry 
<laughs> I'm, so, I'm sorry that you had to have MJ on it. He's he's a nuisance. Um, but I've noticed. I talked to Eric Oakley last season or two seasons ago. I talked to Joel Freeman two seasons ago. They all went open right away. And I, it's it's something that I've not really like heard of too much. It's just so much easier to to learn how to play the game. Exactly. Because you, you play against the guys that have been playing for. You know, you jump and you play against the guys that have been playing for 20 years and you play against the, the guys that are just coming up, but they're really good. Mm-hmm. But you get to see a lot of different shots, a lot of different styles of play. Mm-hmm. You get confused in, into doing <laughs> dumbass shit because you see someone pull off a shot. I can do that, but I never practiced that. And then you find out you shouldn't have done that. You should have tried that in practice. <laughs> yeah. But, you know, you learn so much better than just, yes, it's nice to learn how to win, mm-hmm. but I had been playing for a while. Mm-hmm. So... I felt like I didn't need, I didn't want to go play intermediate, all this different wet levels and learn mm. how to play that way. Exactly. It, it, exactly. Because I've had, I've personally done lessons for players that play intermediate and they go, how do I win intermediate? And if I were to, it, it's, it's a hard question to answer because you're like, shoot par. Exactly. <laughs> well, that's what I'm saying. Like, if, if you want to learn how to win intermediate, I can teach you. I can teach you how to lay up that 40 foot death putt. I can yeah. teach you how to, you know, take the easiest route. Because a lot of times in intermediate, we have great players that overextend themselves. Time oh yeah, they try time. crazy stuff over. Exactly over. because they, you know, I think uh, they're they're getting way ahead of themselves. But it's like a player that wants to win intermediate, and a player that is in the intermediate but wants to win open tournaments is different. It's oh t- yeah, that's a completely different beast. It's a totally, it's you, it's you a, want to learn the all around game yeah, at that point in time now. Exactly. So I mean, two thousand and two first season, and we'll probably fast forward after a few. But you play a solid year of getting like thirty dollars every yeah. once in a while. Oh, month. I know. Yeah. <laughs> I had one good round. Let's just I embarrass think. this man, this national tour champion. <laughs> no cash. At was, Creek. I had one good round here. <laughs> Twenty-seven bucks. Here, Twenty-six show, bucks. I'll show you this one. This is this is actually one good round in here. What? Look at the last round there. Okay, so at that's that hornet's nest. The disclaimer didn't fall finale. Hey, your home 02. course. I finally, I shot bad, 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 really good course record. You shot a ten eighty one in your first season in PDGA. Yeah. <laughs> All right, so I just had to do that to you. You're welcome. <laughs> so, well, okay, cool. Another good case study. How did you feel during that round? What was it? It was I play I actually played with Avery and Stan. I think was on that card too, or no, Staff played with Stan the second round. He's like. You made every putt that was for par or bogey, but you could not hit the broadside of a barn if it was for birdie. <laughs> so I started going with the, screw it. I already missed the birdie putt. Let's make the par putt. Mm-hmm. And it just felt like I'd done that round before because I had started playing there a lot by 2002. I'd been play- I would be playing there four or five days a week, mm-hmm. you know, and playing 10 to 15 rounds a week there. Mm-hmm. So that felt like just a nice round finally. Well, it's tough sometimes to play tournaments on your home course. Because oh yeah, lots of guys struggle with it because you put too much pressure on yourself. Yeah, and it's slower. You're oh, yeah. used to playing so laid back. Oh, you you know, think I played fast now? You should have seen me then. You're just, oh, <laughs> you're just speed golf. It's bang, 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 go. And that's the hard part about tournaments is you start to see backups for the first time. Yep. You know, so ten eighty one. Yeah, that was beat a course record that stood since ninety seven. That was at a B tier. Yeah, yeah, it was quality. <laughs> But the best part is, it still only got you fifth place. Oh yeah, I shot. Look at my uh, finals. Hammock look at my finals round. It wasn't so hot. Twenty eight. Yeah. <laughs> so, <laughs> but that's okay. So clearly, and on that front nine previous, I think I shot a twenty two. So, <laughs> what was your what was your game like 
in the early years? Was it similar to how you are now? No, no. I had no touch. Well, so what was your game? Not throw it far and then hopefully make a lot of, get streaky and make a lot of So parts. you were a distance player back then? As far as you could be in the woods. Okay. I was just super aggressive. I didn't have the control and touch from like 250 and in consistently. Mm-hmm. It was I saw it and I could do it sometimes, but it wasn't something I could step out and just do all the time. Yeah. Um, so, I mean, interesting. Because um, it's funny that when I met you and me and you started playing together, that was the only thing that I thought of you as was okay. a touch player. Because I've been playing for 15 yeah, years. Long time. time. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Um, so go ahead and actually take a look at these stats and show me the year in your progression as a player when you felt like you clicked and you hit another, uh, like another level completely. End of 04. 2004, quickly. Yeah, 04, I, I had a good run at the end of the year. I had a decent um, Augusta Classic. I got beat up towards the end, but I learned a lot for that. For some reason, that one just clicked. And then the next, next week was, um, or Let's a couple weeks here. later, I played bad, but I had fun. It's one of those ones I shot horrible, 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 and then shot a good last round just because mm-hmm. I finally relaxed. Yeah. You know, good last round for me back then was 1,007, so it was quality. <laughs> but it pulled me into last cast, and I just kind of remembered, you know, just do your own. That was kind of when I started mm-hmm. to talk to Larry and some of these other guys. who were like, just don't give up on a hole. Mm-hmm. You know, don't just let it go where you all of a sudden, you know, you might throw a bad shot, but keep trying to do the next shot as best you can mm-hmm. and get out of the hole with the good with the decent number and don't let it progress because mm-hmm. that stroke or two you save in the first round mm-hmm. might be the difference between you actually cashing. Win, it could even be the difference in exactly. you winning. You don't let that bad thought control and go on for four, five, six holes. Some mm-hmm. guys you'll let it go and you'll throw your whole round away. You never though. You never know those those tournament rounds where you feel like you played like like crap and everybody else played like stinkier crap and you're shocked at where you are on the leaderboard. But so. Then like two week, a couple weeks later, I played the fall finale again, which was at Hornet's Nest, and I started out really well. I didn't shoot crazy good, but I went like ten fifty nine, ten thirty four, and was sitting, you know, first couple spots with Barry and, mm-hmm. you know, battling with Barry and Schwebe and Steve Brenster and Larry Landard and all those guys that were ridiculously good. And then I had a chance. That was one of the first ones, a big event that I had a chance. Felt like I had a chance to win. Mm-hmm. So on that one felt good to do that, but. That was a starting point of me actually playing well. And then everyone knows me from my first big event at USDC that year. I was going to say, I was looking at this before the episode happened, and I saw, like, oh, you're just chilling, shooting, like, scratch rounds. You had a couple, you know, good finishes, and then, boom, you get sixth at a major. Yeah, and I went, like, 65. You can tell it was windy because I went 65, 65, 65, 70, and finished sixth. Yikes. It was this a different is, layout, but it was 2004. But it was I was on lead card after first, second, third, and fourth round. I was on lead card. And you played with Climo. Yeah. What is it like playing with Ken Climo? It's kind of like you know, it's fun because because he, it's fun and also it's tough too because he's such a competitor. It's all like playing with Paul and Ricky and some of these guys nowadays. They're very competitive. They want to do their best. Mm-hmm. You know. So, and then when they're on. If you're not playing your top-notch golf, you're not going to keep up. Mm-hmm. You're just going to get lapped. Like, we were get, we got crushed that year. I think he won, well, he won by, like, five or something like that. But it, I don't feel like it was ever that close. Like, he was out in front and just kind of fended us off. And you guys hang back here. I'm just going to control this. And, <clears throat> by the way, you guys are never going to touch me. Yeah. You're never so, really actually going to get close enough for me to worry. So, um, before we move forward later on to the career, I, I'm, I'm fascinated by Climo because he was the first person that I had to watch when I was a kid. 
what? And I've never gotten to play with him, and he got injured before I. He was know. just really good. Yeah, what was, was his a, game like? I just didn't fuck up. He actually threw. Most people don't think he threw very far, but he threw really far for the time. Mm-hmm. You know, if you would have given him a new age disc and he'd been playing like with him for a while or, or destroy, yeah, he and he'd been using it for ten years. Before, you know, but if you gave it to him when he was in his mid nineties run and mid to late nineties run, mm-hmm. just probably crushing everybody essentially. I think he would have been doing like what you saw Paul do, mm-hmm. where it's just like even with the the more we have more, there's more really good players now than there used to be. There was a core amount of players that you'd see at certain events and bigger events. You'd see, you'd all of a sudden see all of them show up, mm-hmm. but there wasn't as many guys touring that were really, really, really good. Yeah. Now there's a lot of really good players touring. So mm-hmm. it would have been interesting to see if they would have won as much, but I still think he would have. You still he, think he would have yeah, been. God, yeah. He was just so mentally, I want to win. I'm going to win. I am the best at this mm-hmm. and good luck ever beating me. And yeah. he, he did not miss a putt. Him and like Steve Rico and Cam Todd and Ron Russell, those guys just. <laughs> it's so nuts. But it's because like watching his what you see ugly. now. Yeah, but it works. That's what was so crazy to Learn me. Learn to play on the beach in Clearwater. Yeah. He played, learned to play in that wind, and that's what you do. You dropped it up and the dropped, Heiser dropped it in mm-hmm. without worrying about it going crazy long, and you, you get good on your distance. You can just bury him, especially so on the old baskets, too. Yeah. You had to hit the old baskets in a certain way. Yeah, what were you guys putting on back then? Oh, Mach 1, Mach 2 conversions. Oh, my God. Early uh, disc catchers with single chains, shallow pans, uh, Mach 3s. <laughs> you, know, you had to you change all the time. You, never, you didn't see much of the disc craft and stuff down yeah. here, but you'd see Mach 3s, Mach 1, Mach 2 conversions. Uh, you'd see the single chain disc catchers when That's they first so started coming funny. out. Lots of cut-throughs. So... Um, Lots of cut throughs. That's why I stopped watching my putts. Did people complain about the baskets as much as they came? Oh, fuck yeah. Okay. So yeah. every so it's never going to end. No, no, no. It's just like any sport. You adjust. You're going your, to yeah. complain about something you can't control, no matter what. It's just there, and especially single sports because you don't have a way to vent. You know. Yeah. And that's your venting. Usually, you go back and you bitch at your coach or something, your player. <laughs> like, why didn't you do this? You know. Yeah. You can complain about somebody else, but that's what you have. <laughs> and to me, it's you should. Yes, it's tough, but you should be able to make... And certain players putt better on certain basket styles. Mm-hmm. Same thing as ball golfers. They putt better on different styles of greens and different mm-hmm. grasses. But you should also be able to make... We're professionals. Yeah. You should be able to make the adjustment. Yeah. And at least work on it. As long as they're 18 of the same baskets on the course, mm-hmm. I don't care what they are. I'll so, figure out what to do. Yeah, so... Um, and just like uh, blunt opinion, like there was that one round at Ledgestone where Ricky was putting on... Uh, those remember the, the last year before the Chain Star Pro came out, yeah, Ricky, the mongrel baskets they were and, putting on. And, they were like mm-hmm. Chain Stars and uh, Mach Five combined baskets yeah. type things. And they were temporary, so they weren't like fastened into the ground. And Ricky had like four spit outs in one round, dead center pull. Do you, are you? He was hitting dead center pull on a chain that was dead center lined up high. Yeah, he was actually coming in high, nose down, and that's a that's a miss on those baskets. Uh-huh. That's just a that's a known miss on those baskets. Okay. You that's know. what I was asking. Yeah, you should be going back and just like any ball golfer, anybody, they send out their caddy to get their extra distances and marks. You should be doing all this before the tournament. Uh-huh. So you should know. I have particular distances. This basket has particular spit out style. Mm-hmm. Whatever you need to learn that and yeah. put that into your game plan. Yeah. So 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 you don't think that sucks when that happens. What is your opinion of when that happens? Like, you've had some nasty spit It happens. Outs. I've seen them. It's life. Yeah. It's the same thing as a lip out and ball golf. You hit it too. Well, maybe you played it late in the day and the grass had grown over this way, so you <laughs> went across. Whatever. Or you hit a ball, uh, uh, a, a spike mark or something. Yeah. It's just life. Yeah. Don't worry about it. And that's the same way you treat the trees in Charlotte. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> it's so, life. You're going to hit them. So, 
Did you ever tour full time? Like like all over the country? Uh, la- last year was the only time. Last I've really done year, it. that's so nutty to me. What? So there's ne- there was never a year when you hit the no. whole swing. Most of the West Coast swing, I could. I'm bored to tears on. I really have no interest in playing. <laughs> like so, I could play it sometimes. Yeah, I don't mind. A, I like. A, I, everyone thinks of me as strictly a woods golfer. Mm-hmm. I like a you nice like mix. distance. I've yeah. seen you throw distance shots. I like a nice mix. Yeah, like you play like um. Mabel Hill has a nice mix. You get um you get it at uh like GMC because they have two GMC's courses. GMC's great. You know, Worlds last year we got it nicely between mm-hmm. Northwoods Gold and Lake Eureka. Like mm-hmm. I like a balance. I'm okay. I'm not the best at Eureka, but I can keep up and do okay for a couple of rounds exactly. versus full four rounds. That's a bit hard on me. Yeah. But you know, if I'm only having to play it half the time, yeah, I can do all right. Yeah. If you give me something else to balance up, I could put it last year. It would have been fine, but that's that's I how it goes. <laughs> that's disc golf. It's what's crazy to me is like I've watched, I've I've looked at your stats and. Uh, you've had, you've finished top ten at USDGC many times, and yet it's like one of your favorite or least favorite tournaments that you play. I don't like where it's gone in the last five ten years. I see. Okay. It's like I really enjoyed it early on, just because the way the course was. I think some of it's the the newer discs and the faster discs have come out and made some of the holes so kind of obsolete, and where they're not as much uh, strategy. And uh, course maintenance as there used to be. Exactly. And then to make up for it, you have to do different things. And I don't really agree with some of the ways they're going about it. Mm-hmm. But you know, it's okay. It's their property. I think we're in a growing, like a growing pain phase. Oh, we're, we definitely are we're because we're finally seeing out. a lot of really, really good players mm-hmm. on the road all the time, and we're getting <clears throat> uh, viewership through YouTube and certain some of the different yeah. companies we have that way. So it's visually seen more. But I also think we're not ball golf. We're not where we're it's. Not. We're not where it's the. You look at the basic PGA PGA tour stops. On most of them, they sh- obliterate the course, mm-hmm. which is what we do mm-hmm. week in and week out. We obliterate most courses just because we're not your everyday player. Mm-hmm. We have a skill set, and we'll just take advantage of what you do. And mm-hmm. we're also, it's very hard to make a course where you sh- anymore where par is really good unless you make it kind of hokey and weird and have crap yeah. loads of mandos and a lots of OB, mm-hmm. or it's so tight no one wants to play it. Yeah, exactly. And that's from me saying that. And I actually like really tight core. <laughs> yeah. It's it's tough because I think you should just kind of embrace the fact that, you know, ball golf's not a game of perfect. Disc golf can be. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know, in like, the style of golf we're doing now, similar it's Similar to how bowling, every now and then bowling, a player yeah, pops exactly. off a 300. And people think that, like, oh, these guys should be th- bowling 300s all the time. The conditions of the lanes and bowling. Change, and the change yeah. different oil patterns, different whatever. It's different. Bowling a 300 on tour and bowling a 300. I've bowled a 300 before, but it was on an oil pattern that I've seen every single week. It's yeah, like, your basic It's stuff. like shooting 18 down on the course that you play every day, you know? Yeah. Um, yeah, playing the course that was put in 1985. Exa- and, yeah. Exactly. Yeah. So and you go out and crush um, it with destroyers and nukes and stuff. So and, and I <laughs> yeah exactly, and and I'm I'm uh, have you ever played the pickle open? Pickle open? No, I don't know that. It's one. in Sheboygan, Wisconsin. Well, Vol- I would have no chance of playing that one probably. That's fine. It's at Volrath Park. I wasn't sure if you heard of it. Volrath Park was put in in the 70s, I believe. Oh, Forgive me, Sheboygan locals or early 80s. And they still have a B tier there every single year, and the course has completely been outgrown. And now people are throwing—they're just crushing courses. Oh, it's awesome! So I'd love to play on some of these courses with. Uh, let's play. Okay, you get an '80s course. Let's play with '80s discs. You know, or I'm courses in. put in. You know, play with era. Play within the era. Going. All right, let's play for us in Charlotte. Oldest permanent course is Reedy Creek. Well, let's play with stuff circa 1991 and earlier. Yeah. So play with Cobra Stingrays and stuff like that. And <sighs> then go play Reedy Creek and tell me how easy it is. Yeah. Yes, there's a lot of less trees than there used to be, but it would be way harder. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, I, I, 
I would be totally into that tour. As a Frisbee fanatic, I would be totally into it. Yeah. But but my thing is, so so we're growing. Before I there's a season that I want to talk to you about before I but oh, I, there's, there's something a particular I want to, season? Oh that's good. Oh yeah. Oh, nice. There's a specific event I want to talk about. Um but where do you see course design going? Where, like, what do you think is challenging? Like, you, you, you play with these guys all weekend. You beat these guys, you know, all the time. They, I'll never go all the time. Sometimes you, you don't. But I'm saying you don't tour full time. But you beat when you show up to an event. You beat top players every weekend that you go out there. Where you've seen how they throw. You see what you know where their sport is going. You see where the equipment is going. Where do you, like is there a spot where course design caps out? Like, like, where do you see is because you're particular about courses. What's going to challenge the next generation of players? Private courses done right on private land, where you mm-hmm. can actually have the room to develop and push a course longer, and still be able to use the natural abilities of land, but still be able mm-hmm. to clear out big enough fairways. Yeah, but still have rough. Mm-hmm. So you have it can be viewable by fans to watch it. It can be filmed. Mm-hmm. And you can have a nice mix of uh, some open. You get a few wooded sections where you kind of cross back and forth, but you can have these kind of mixed layouts, mm-hmm. which are longer because we need length at this point. In time. We need length, but my, my and I agree with you. My my whole thing is, you know, I want to see length with shot shape skill. Ha! Wow! Like a, wonderful. So you can show That's me my... that you can move it right and yes. left with multiple shots. So you so you can move it right and left with your sidearm, and you can mm. move it right and left with your backhand. Yes. Okay. Now I'm not the best sidearm player, but I can move a lot of shots right to left with. But that it should, left be, the right. that should it be the future. That should be the future. Yes. Because I've talked about this before. I actually did a lesson today with a player who was afraid of drifting their disc over on Anheuser. Oh, lots of players don't like want to throw it's Heiser scary. or Heiser. Right. But but it's scary, right? Mm-hmm. I think the ability to trust your disc, not and I call it drifting because it's that tiny, yeah, like sliding over. Once it crests into the third, the last third of the flight, it goes kunk, pushes nose down and starts pushing over. That that type of shot shape is very difficult for a newer player to do, and it separates the pros from the amps. It's hard for pros to do. It's, but that's what I th- exactly. So I think, like you said, we're starting to see players. I've We're used starting this. to see athletes now, finally. Exactly. And they're starting to understand that 15-speed drivers, I, 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 I've had this conversation in a previous episode, but 15-speed drivers are not going to be the answer. No, 15-speed drivers are what you give the AMs. Exactly. We're That's start- like the biggest ball golf club you can think. You give it to the guy who can't actually make this contact on the nice sweet spot. Yeah, exactly. So, so a lot of top players are clubbing down. They're starting to throw. Like I know a lot of Innova players... T-Birds and Eagles, for exactly. Thunderbirds for miles. Exactly. I wish I was 20 years younger. <laughs> yeah, just throwing a vulture like 480. No, I just wish I was 20 years younger so I could actually play through this era. Oh, yeah. <laughs> that's funny. Yeah, I, I mean, but that's the thing. Distance shot shaping is becoming the next frontier. Yeah, there's a few guys that do it well, but not a lot. But we're but because... You'll see more. Yeah, just like Climo dominating and people watched him and they adapted their style to him, we're starting to see players throw distance drivers and make them look like fairway drivers. And we're, and we're also starting to see some properties just don't have it. Where We're starting to see courses and properties and course designers mm-hmm. that actually understand shot, and shaping. shot shaping and forcing you into mm-hmm. how to play at a high level. Yeah. You know, there's some that I don't think get it. Yeah. Actually, there's a lot <laughs> that I don't think get it, but that's fine. 
there's a lot of different ways to mm-hmm. you know skin a cat and play ball golf and play disc golf and mm-hmm. make it fun and valuable and learn a lot of lessons. But at the high level, it's very difficult to really develop a nice big course that's yeah. very playable by a lot of people and isn't yeah. just showing kind of one side of things. Mm-hmm. I, no, I, I mean, I agree. It's, 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 it's asking what's hard. It's asking what what and is... we have to not be worried about shooting under par. You know, don't make it where a course designer is feeling like these guys are just birding every hole. Well, it's fine. Some of these guys are they're just really good at these type shots you put in, and there's just no way around it. Well, and we're under- in more control than a, a golfer is because we have the equipment in our hands. Yeah, you yeah, know, yeah, we have both the ball and the club exactly. Together. Um, so speaking of that, like I want to move to a tournament. Speaking of like kind of the evolution of course design, a course that I feel very um, confident was like one of the courses that started pushing forward this championship style of wooded golf was Jackson at at IDGC. I think it's I think it's one of the better wooded courses that we play. I think it was. I like the old course because it was. it was a challenge and fun, but I don't know if I would call it the best tournament course. I'm just not, because it didn't fl- flow quite right, just the way it mm-hmm. just kind of happened that way with the mm-hmm. with property boundaries and stuff. Yeah, and I'm time. not going to say it's like the best course on tour. I'm not. I'm, no, but it did start to stretch some things. Yeah, it, but that's what I'm saying. Like it started showing, like okay, like we're not going to let you throw your most overstable driver off the tee. We're going to make you take something that's less stable and actually drift but it you over. You can play that game there if you want to. If you're you on, think so? Oh, God, yes. If you're on, you can play that game at Jackson. Well, now, some of the newer holes, it's harder to do, but the old course, yeah, if you're on, you could play that course balls to the wall and go. Really? Yeah. Well, in response to that, explain to me this tournament. To <laughs> explain to me this tournament. 2015 Hall of Fame Classic you won an NT. That's a big deal. And you beat a huge field of players. Talk to, please talk to me about that. That was an emotional time in my life. I had just lost my dad five, six months earlier in May, that, June that year. So we'd I been through a that. battle with cancer. So this was a very emotional tournament for me. It was kind of one of the only ones where you feel like I have a chance sometimes. Because mm-hmm. some of the bigger courses, you know, I feel like I have a chance at, you know, Maple Hill, some of these ones up north, Iron Hill, a couple others. There's a lot of courses I feel like I can compete, but mm-hmm. the win is very, very hard for me. Yeah. I got to play perfect. Yeah. In a tiny have... window, but I can play at the Woods Golf. I can wear your ass into the ground. <laughs> yeah. You know, it's basically what I did. I saw Paul was, he had some sort of hand injury, like a blister or something. Uh-huh. So he was struggling with his release and consistency on it. Mm-hmm. But there was a, it was a battle between three or four of us, I swear, maybe five of us. Yeah where we just kind of flipped back and forth for the while. And I never really felt like I shot great, mm-hmm. but I shot well enough and just made them work. Mm-hmm. Like I finally got ahead and that kind of felt like it was one of those plant tournaments where it just kind of all kind of fell together uh-huh. or someone else was looking over me because I, kind of I, I kind of completely zoned out and just was in my own world. Mm-hmm. I was not all back playing well at that point in time. I'd only been playing again for a little while. And I really had, my mental game had cracked when dad got sick. Mm-hmm. So it was hard to relearn that over a few years. And people drug me back out to play. Yeah. But that tournament in particular was, was hard. I mean, and then you tied. Like, what was the, I mean, you said you zoned out. You tied Paul. Like, I'm, I'm sure you've been playing long enough to where you were like, you know, I don't care who it is. But you went into, ho- like, four-hole playoff or something like yeah, that? Yeah, four holes. I mean. I knew I needed to. 
kind of keep going. I was doing fine. I was giving myself a lot of opportunities. Yeah. I might not have been making all of this stuff. I wasn't quite on my game, but I was, I was not missing fairways. Yeah. So I was always in position to score. Mm-hmm. So it made him consistently work. Mm-hmm. And Paul and I have had a good relationship. I've known him since, I don't know, 08 maybe? Yeah. 09? Probably. I think 08 was the first time I played uh-huh. with him since he was really pretty young. When you played with him in 08, did you think he was going to be as good as he is today? Yeah. Really? Yeah, he was really good. <laughs> I still <laughs> think it. I could beat him, and I still think I can beat him now. Yeah. But I knew he was going to be really good at that point in time, yeah. just playing with him in Worlds. There was a couple of rounds we played together, and he was just because he had the mentality and it's like, I want to come beat you at your home course. Yeah. And he's like, I can't wait to play you in Charlotte. Whatever, I'm going to beat you. Ass, I'm, yeah. I'm going I'm to play you, and I want to beat you. I was like, well, cool, bring it, let's go. <laughs> and then, well, we had a battle a couple years later. <laughs> Damn I it. mean, well, well but, stri- but real quick... Wait a second. A couple years later after this? Well, no, we had a battle in 2012 Worlds. Oh. Because I was leading after two. I led for most of the event. Wait, what? I, I, I was there. I guess I, I was... I led for a good chunk because I had the lead through... I got the lead after the second round at Bradford when I blitzed... A, well, I played a good round there. You shot 17 under par there. <laughs> yeah, and I laid up nicely. <laughs> but, um... No, I played a good round there, and then I just never really popped off another hot round because the way we had rearranged the courses a little bit for Worlds, I just couldn't quite, never quite got the next hot round that I knew I needed. Yeah. But I don't think I relinquished the lead until maybe round before semis. Mm-hmm. The last round at Bradford, I think I relinquished the lead. Yeah. And then Kale and I had a battle to even get into the finals. But no, at, when we go back to the Augusta one, the Hall of Fame, that was just... It, I, I don't know. It was a borderline out of body experience for me. Really? Oh, I felt like dad was with me. Yeah. No. Oh, because it, ju- it just yeah. happened. It had just happened. I was out of it. He was the one that, after a while, pushed me and it's like, okay, I don't really understand why you're doing it. Yeah. But I see you're good and you enjoy it and you have fun with it. Yeah. I'm behind you. That's so awesome. he'd start showing up at, uh, he'd, he'd pay attention to what was going on, but he'd show up every year at USGDC, follow me every round. That's awesome. So and once we played the first round there and then, had a good, that 04 year after that, he, because I got a huge ovation at the end of the 04 one. I probably yeah. got the biggest one outside of Kenny's. And for that, that was when they announced the whole top 10 yeah. beforehand. So that was cool. That's awesome. And I think he kind of clicked after that. He's like, people like you for some reason. <laughs> cool, whatever. <laughs> yeah, this people is fun, you know? think you're cool. I don't but know I why. never really understood it, but that, that win at Hall of Fame was just kind of like one of those things you that just, just happened. Yeah. I don't even, you know, and I got a, Finally got a break on four, which is that I hole. I don't even know what hole it is now. It's, it's the a different one that dri- they just made it longer. Yeah, we played the shorter. We played the shorter tee and played the hyzer around. And Paul made a mistake, and I actually went. We both had to go left side. I think. Yeah, I think we both had. No, you, he went no, left he, side. No, he went left hole? side. I think I still went right side. Because you have to throw like a long pushing flip up hyzer. Yeah, we were throwing. Uh, well, on the short tee, was I was throwing mids. I was throwing. Comp. Oh, you were. It was still a it was short. short tee, so we were throwing mids. Okay. Maybe a fairway driver to land in the spot. Mm-hmm. And then you basically would throw the same shot again. If you landed in the right spot, you'd throw the same shot again. Yeah. And I had, I still had, I don't know, a 30, 35 footer. You drilled it. Made that putt because he, he almost made like a 70 footer for it or something. To, of course. Well, you know. He lives for those yeah, moments. You know, you know, know, we've watched him. I've made my fair share of those dumbass putts. I know, putts exactly. Too, so. <laughs> dumbass putts. But uh, yeah, man, I, I remember I, I watched that. Were they doing live that at that time? Was Disc Golf Planet one? doing it? Hall of Fame? Hall of Fame, Jomez was doing Jomez that. was there? Yeah. Okay. I think Jomez and... Uh, I got the goosebumps, maybe man. Maybe Marty McFly. Mc, Marty McFly. McFly was there for that one, too. Yeah. yeah, I had goosebumps watching that because it was it was just like, you know, seeing the, the, the player that grew up in the woods 
wind in the woods. It was like a freaking anime. <laughs> it was like it was like the the waterbender winning a battle. You know, on it the was water, nice to finally know? win one because I yeah. don't play that many national tours. Yeah, you I, know, a lot of times I'd play one or two saw. a year or one or none for multiple years. It feels like you're on tour. <laughs> it feels like you're on tour full time. I feel like I see you way too much. Well, I play a lot of Southeast events, yeah. and Midwest and stuff like that, and East Coast. But. Yeah. Um, yeah, man. I, and that's so wild to me. Like 2002 up to this point, like, did you know that like disc golf was going to be this big of, you know, a piece of your life after, you know, when did you know? It probably took that. Oh, when did you want, you know, what, when did you want it to be that big of a part of your life? Probably through oh four oh five, it yeah. started kind of creeping in. Yeah. Like we did a loop in oh five with a couple of friends of mine. Mm-hmm. They did it. We did a trip out and Played a couple of events, but also you know, did a music festival, saw one of my buddy's grandparents, and did a couple things and came back. Yeah. You know? So it was a fun little trip. Mm-hmm. Played a, I think we played an A-tier and a nat played an A-tier in Kansas City wide open, was national tour, and then did a music festival and then came home. Awesome. <laughs> it, was a, it was a fun loop to do. And it's like, oh, it's kind of fun. But then you realize, you know, certain players you don't want to play with, certain players, you know, do I want to travel all the time and do this or mm-hmm. do I want to just I can do this and you know work a job on work a normal job and yeah. or a job on the side and do kind of two things at once. Exactly. And played the southeast for a long time. Did you you told me something about you being didn't you fix mus- musical instruments for a living or something like that? Well, I would I was going to school for that. I okay. went to school for music and wanted to learn. I I've always since I was probably like I don't know thirteen or fourteen. What did, did you play again? I played low woodwinds, bass clarinet, contrabass okay. clarinet, Barry sax, all this, all those things. Did you ever transfer any of the knowledge you knew from music and like training for music? Did you ever transfer that into disc golf at all? Or was disc golf always just a very natural thing for you? Yes and no. More of because I played music the way I played disc golf. Okay. So I play very, very intuitive. Very feel very oriented. Go. I learned early on I, that's just kind of how I work best. Uh-huh. When I really try to structure and do too much stuff, I kind of get wandery. Yeah. And that's just not how I work. You know, and same things I learned to take tests that way and do things. You know, you get in school, you know, take a test and someone like teacher go, you have like 40 more minutes. Why are you done? Go look back over <laughs> yeah. And go back and look over your test and then come back after you test. Well, I think no, they're no, right. No, no, so. no. The ones you told me, you, uh, I went back and changed were after you told me to go back and look at it. Yeah. <laughs> I didn't change those after the, before the fact. Uh-huh. Every one of those was wrong. So I was like, <laughs> damn it. All right, just stick with what you know. And just if you don't know it, you don't know it. But yeah. That's it's okay. All. But I mean, that's an amazing way to play golf as well. Like yeah, understanding well, like to accept what you are not good at, and yeah, then just and you play kind of accept it. and you work around it, and you play your own game, and then but don't try to fix everything in the middle around. Yeah. If you have an issue, kind of make note of it some way, be it mentally on the scorecard, whatever. Yeah, think about it after the fact. Mm-hmm. Don't try to fix it or worry about all the crap that goes on in the round and going putt like shit, whatever, throwing whatever. Think you about pu- it, yeah, think about it after the round. So you go, was there a particular thing I did wrong? Mm-hmm. Maybe I was setting up whatever. Everything was coming out early. So yeah. you can, then you think about why why was it coming out early? But mm-hmm. don't worry about it during the round. Think about exactly. it afterwards. Yeah, what's the point of like self-diagnosing it's like web MDing yourself? It's gonna the screw round. you up more. Yeah. Um yeah, they said What is how to lose a tournament quickly? Yeah, it's like <laughs> there was there was something that a golf coach said something like, you know, when you're stuck in like a like a like a riptide or like a current that's going like the wrong way, like you just have to like accept it for a bit. Yep, you're going to have a bad stretch and, and swim you'll pull sideways. back out. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Um <laughs> before I before I wrap this up and and uh open it up to you uh, uh I, I I guess open up a couple like finishing questions. Something I I wanted to talk to you about. I know you played with Innova for a couple years. 
right? Yeah. How long were you with, with Inter before? End of 04, end of 07. Okay. Three years or so. So three years. And then you signed with Discraft right afterwards? Yeah, in 08. And then did you throw the Comet right away? No, it took a little bit. Talk to me about your your relationship with the Comet. <laughs> <laughs> your intimate relationship with the Comet. Please talk to me. I threw it early on. I threw it kind of a mixed bag between that, the MRV, MRX, and like the Rocks for a long time before uh-huh. I got sponsored. But I didn't really throw it for a while. And then uh, one of my buddies, Mark Murin, asked me to, when I switched to Discraft a couple months and asked me to order him a couple Comets. He's like, I need some Comets, you know? Mm-hmm. Okay, sure, I'll get you some Comets. Well, I got some comments, and I was like, ah, I'll get a couple myself. I'm still searching my bag, trying to figure out everything. Yeah. You know, this is probably still somewhere in 08. And I just took a couple in the bag. I went through, uh, went to Hornet's Nest and kind of threw old hole one. I don't know if anyone remembers that hole, but it was like a, <laughs> it's like a 300, you had to throw it kind of, it's 323 feet, slight late bend to the right. So you had to kind of hit a gap and then late turn cut between some trees up on a little rise to hit it. So, and I threw that shot and just kind of giggled. I was like, well, that, that was easy. I forgot about this damn disc. And I proceeded to play the whole round with just comments and kind of laughed and giggled <laughs> my way around the round. I was like, well, this is going back in the back. Ta-da. Yeah. So then, okay, 2008, you learn how to throw the comet. You fall in love with it again. I mean, I can, I can vouch for my relationship with the zone as a disc. That I, that's my favorite disc. And I've grown in my knowledge of what it's capable of. Has that happened to you? Like, ha- oh like, yeah. So, so what was like a big clicking point, like in like the skill ceiling of that disc for you? Like, how long did it take you to really understand? A couple how- of years, probably. Yeah. Really, I mean, I understood a lot of it early on, just because I'd still been playing a lot at that point in time. So I understood disc flights, and then yeah. it's also in a realization that I could click over my. I could. It took a lot of time, kind of knocking the frisbee out of my game. Yeah. And that kind of put the frisbee back into my game. Uh huh which I had just got rid of, and I realized that, oh, shit, I can use this part of my game. It's actually really useful. Yeah, it's not bad at all to no, have a Frisbee and background. and it just kind of really clicked into my head that I can use this for a little bit of everything. Uh-huh. And so that, just having that, and it just made it so much easier for me. Uh-huh. You know, just not, I always fought with my mid-ranges with Innova. Like, I liked the rock, but I didn't like the rock. Mm-hmm. Then I liked the coyote. When the coyote first came out, it was like, sweet, great. Perfect. Mm-hmm. And I could throw that whatever I wanted the to. Coyote? The coyote? Yeah, the early run coyote. Nice. Just because you could overturn it because it had that rounded edge mm-hmm. and it wouldn't dig roll. Mm-hmm. It would just kind of slide out. So you could kind of make a mistake with it and still be all right. Uh-huh. Where the comet, if you get it right, it just rewards you. Yeah. But if you screw it up, it shows you really it's quickly. It's literally a paintbrush. Yeah. Like it, it, it shows you exactly when you screw up, fuck mm-hmm. up, do something. But when you do something right, you'll get the best feeling ever because it just does the most amazing stuff. And yeah. Cam Todd used to call it, what did he do it? It's the f- slowest, fast disc you'll ever play or the <laughs> fastest, slow disc you'll ever throw. It's like it just keeps going. You know? Yeah, I, I found the thing about the Comet, so I, I, I throw the buzz when I need to throw just dead flat, straight, and have it fade a little bit. The thing about the Comet that's different from the buzz is the controllability in the late, like last quarter of the flight. Yeah. Like the fact that you can, because a buzz, you pop it on the line, whatever you put it on, it holds and then finishes. Yeah. Comet, I could still make break right, left, or fall straight at that point in time. Yeah, and and I, you know, since even living in Charlotte, it's kind of blown me away how much more I reach for the comet than I do the buzz in a yeah, lot of situations. I still find it funny that everybody knows me for the comet, but I probably throw the banger more. Yeah, I was gonna say you like so. 
just because I throw it so much. Well, we play we play a lot of smaller courses yeah. and stuff, and I use it. It's my main upshot disc. But a lot of times on tour, you can't use the Comet, but so much just because you're throwing driver to putter. Exactly. You're not really doing a lot of mid range shots. And I mean, you get and the, the best part is like you've been throwing the banger since you know they came out essentially. Or ha- yeah, like, I was throwing. I think I started throwing it in 08. Okay. So just I think, D bangers. No, I said ESPs and Ds right off the bat. They were the, making ESPs at that point. Those time. old ESP bangers are... I still have a few left. I think we might be the, this might be the only podcast ever recorded in the history of mankind where two people who love the banger GT are on the same podcast. Well, that's probably pretty close. Fact, fact check me, uh, uh, listeners. <laughs> uh, all right, just find another one where like, maybe Emac was on if someone else was on with yeah. them. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but uh, yeah, I mean... The common is really amazing for the Charlotte Woods, but yeah, I mean the the banger. I'm glad to, the fact that you got a signature banger, like you got your name on it for like one run, made me so happy because it forced them into putting some uh, ESP stuff back out again. Yeah, and, it, and a lot of other guys realized that they could do it again. You know, yeah. guys that with Nate Heinold and those guys doing it with Ledge I'm like, oh, we can do this. Uh-huh. Cool, sweet. All right, people will buy it. So then, why do you throw that over? Like a challenger. They're like similar stabilities. I just could never get the flight I wanted out of challenger. Uh-huh. It just kind of came out the sky and just dropped. I uh-huh. felt like I had to throw it too damn hard to yeah. make it really go the distance and shot shape I wanted to. Granted, uh-huh. it took me a while to get an ESB banger really beat in and doing what exactly. I wanted. But, you know, I figured it out. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, yeah. So, so I mean, and it's And they don't die. They don't. And that's why I still throw the banger yeah. a lot. Um, and I putt with them. I'm like one of the yeah, only with humans them. on the planet that still no. puts with them. Um, I'm the weirdo that puts with ring. I think they're coming back. Yeah, what are you doing? <laughs> Weird. Um, so, f- f- kind of closing, closing uh, question for this you. Is it not a closing argument? You know, I'm, I'd rather not argue with you. I'm, so- <laughs> I'm, so- I'm sorry. Um, so your shirt is that. tacky, and I, <laughs> 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 I find it distasteful. Um, That's good. It's a, it's, it's two days in May. Sure. <laughs> um, it's one of the best events ever. Moving, moving into the, the future of disc golf, I, I know you are very passionate about your views on course design and you know discs and all this kind of stuff. Where do you see, I actually asked this to Andrew Fish yesterday in our podcast that we recorded, what is your, number one, your dystopian future of disc golf that you have in mind? And what is your utopian future of disc golf? What is like your, your best possible scenario in disc golf? And what is like the worst possible? Scenario? So I can do it for myself. My best possible disc disc golf utopia is just wandering into homegrown tour for the rest of my life. Yeah. <laughs> I get done with yeah. disc golf. Just like just, just having like, fun again. Just yeah. going back into remembering why you started the sport. Yeah. No, yeah. I, I I would hate to see it completely turn into the Heiser Fest that it's been for a little bit and really go that way mm-hmm. and be all ball golf courses all the time yeah. and just go. Okay, great. It's nice to see on TV, but it's actually really boring to watch. Yeah. Similar to like axe throwing. Have you seen axe throwing on TV? Yeah. It's It's interesting and then stops being interesting quickly. It's so boring. And also, yeah, they like foot fault and they're like two two, two feet away from the freaking target. I don't want disc golf to be that either. No, I feel like we've kind of wandered that way. That's why I stopped playing as many ball golf Mm -hmm. courses because I just felt like they were poorly designed. Mm -hmm. They just followed the course. Yeah. Which is not really what we're good at. Yeah. But I mean... I'd love to see the sport be a little bit more of a mix and find a little bit to show its background and uh, keep the love of the, mm-hmm. of the wooded shot shaping still involved. Yeah. Because it's kind of wandered by the wayside for the last five, ten years. They're trying very hard to figure out what to do. Yeah. Oh, yeah. No, and I understand because, you know, it's hard to... You can't. It's hard to have crowds on a wooded course, but yeah. if you do it right, you can, you can actually make it work. But you, mm-hmm. that's why it needs to be 
private courses where the mm-hmm. where you actually have an owner that has the ability to make develop the course do, yeah. and make the changes, but also have the uh, kind of the wherewithal to be able to bring in the equipment that's needed. Yeah, exactly. Which we don't, you know, which ball golf has. When they're like, ah, oh, lost a tree. Well, let's bring in a, another eighty year old tree and just drop it in here. It's fine. <laughs> yeah, let's go buy another By the way, tree. We're gonna close this course down and drop it. You know, just not playing this hole for the next six months. Why would we let this tree cat you know yeah. grow? But, you know, we've just played a course in uh, Lake Marshall, and the guy is the, up in uh, middle of nowhere, eastern Virginia. Uh-huh. But the guy has the, all the equipment because it's on an old farm, you know, a really yeah. old farm, and they just, I think if they get that course done, all those courses done, it's a spectacular piece of property yeah. and could be a really good because you have a, a short course, a middle course, and a really long gold course. I agree with you. That's a. That, it's like I, I have no arguments. I can. I can. <laughs> I'm it. sorry. I, I can't argue with you here Shit. because I want. I want the woods to be utilized as well. I want them to uh, eventually find a way to have these private properties, design these courses around spectators, and have the ability for uh, spectators to be able to go into the woods. Some of my most of my favorite courses at this point in time are private courses. Yeah. I love Maple Hill. I like the GMC courses. I love the old Brackets Bluff course in town was an immaculate yeah. course and still love them. And then we had there's courses that no one knows like Blackjack in uh, in Boone, mm-hmm. private course on a Christmas tree farm in Nature Preserve. Absolutely effing amazing. Huh. It has six, seven, eight, nine holes that every course in the country would be like, I'd love to have that as my signature hole. Uh-huh. That's badass. Yeah. And then its signature hole tops pretty much everyone's signature hole. Huh. Yeah, I mean, I, outside I, of like crazy mountain golf courses, where you're yeah. like, "Oh, that's just spectacular, <laughs> cool." I mean, so then, yeah, I agree with you, man. I, I I want the woods to be more utilized in disc golf. I I really do. I think we'll eventually find. I, we have so many bright minds getting into the game that I think we'll eventually find a good medium. It might be outside of our time. That's but, fine. You'll be closer to it than I will be. Yeah. <laughs> but I've at least watched a lot of growth spurts over the years. You know, I've which seen is probably it come cool. up and down. It's been. It's been interesting to watch it grow and struggle, you mm-hmm. know, and pop up for a few years, then disappear, then pop back up and disappear. Mm-hmm. It's it's been a interesting journey. Do you think it's going to keep popping up, or do you think it's going to die off? Uh, we'll go in cycles again. Yeah, I think it's just that's the nature of the beast. You're going to go cyclical. Yeah, watch. I mean, any sport goes that way. Mm-hmm. You'll crest and get some high moments, and it'll tail back off, and hopefully it peaks back up again. Yeah, that's all you can do. What's try next? to take advantage of them. What's next for you? Uh, a lot of quarantine golf and hanging out and working. <laughs> My man. Well, MJ, uh, cheers my empty glass with your full beer. I still have a beer. Yay. Thanks for coming on. Oh, thank you, sir. Thank you all for listening. And uh, ah, ah, I still don't have a closing statement. I'm sorry. Mm.